Welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Ed Piscor. I'm Jim Rugg. Masamuni Shiro's epic Appleseed comic. Book one is going to be under the microscope today, but first, Jimmy, what do you have? I have patreon.com slash jimrug. Uh, join me there where you can download out-of-print zines and mini-comics. I have about a dozen of those available, and I just posted BW Zine. This is a, a collection of uh, collages and samples, ads, text pages, all this stuff from 1980s black and white comics. When I started getting into those, they just blew my mind. And uh, this is one of the things that I did as a result of uh, putting together boxes of these black and white old comics, was just pulling out samples and mashing things up and putting together this zine, which is now available on my Patreon for uh, $3 and up. You can also find it on jimrug.com if you're not into Patreon, but you want to uh, check out some of my digital zines. Many of them are available on my website. Um, other stuff on my Patreon is original art, uh, sketches, scripts, basically the process of how I make the comics I make, including Street Angel, Plain Janes, Octobriana, and much more. So if you like what we do on Cartoonist Kayfabe, basically my Patreon is focused on my own comics making and uh, my own comics work there. Patreon.com slash Jim Rugg. I never thought of the influence of Robert Crumb on, on uh, the damn log fella until yes. I stared Rain. at this image. Rain Ness. Yes. Red Room, the Antisocial Network trade paperback in stores November 9th. Uh, Amazon bought half of our print run. I actually think more than half of our print run at this point, man, because the the book buyer over there, man, they know the channel. Hopefully, comic book retailers know the channel. They could order heavy and not miss out and and allow Amazon to be the monopoly for this this book uh, come ho holiday season. But this, uh, this volume, it, it collects... The Antisocial Network issues one through four, the complete Antisocial Network season of comics. But you see that ends at about page 136. Uh, this is a 208-page book, man. Lots of extra material, lots, lots of extra artwork, a lot of bang for your buck, and a good reason to uh, grab this to put on your bookshelf. The the And the, under your Christmas tree. That's goddamn right, man. Uh, if you want more Red Room in your life, we're going to start putting out the next wave of Red Room comics in December. It's called Trigger Warnings. Go to the Fantagraphics website, put in a pre-order for that, and uh, read it ahead of time at my Patreon, patreon.com slash edpiscor, three bucks for the archive there. All these links are in my link tree in the description below this video. Uh, Jim, we covered uh, Wizard Magazine number 44, talked about uh, Ghost in the Shell, that was my introduction to Masamuni Shiro, the little pamphlet comic that came with that issue of uh, of Wizard Magazine. I would be turned off to like the big eyes kind of kind of manga and anime. It felt childish to me, and like the Katsuhiro Otomo stuff, the Goseki Kojima Lone Wolf and Cubs, Kamui. I will mess with that all day long. But when I got that little uh, pamphlet of Ghost in the Shell, I'm like. This is freaking sick. This is super dope. Ghost in the Shell was not coming out yet, but what was on the stands, man, was uh, these Appleseed collections. And I would see these floating around from like Eclipse in a different format with like Art Adams covers, shit like that, man. But boy, I got these um, four volumes Christmas of whatever year this was, man. And it was like the greatest Christmas of my life. It was like 10 Cerebus trade paperbacks. It was four apple seeds. Hardcover for uh, Big Fat Kill. It was $300 worth of comics because I got $30 rows. I got $30 rows for, from uh, Phantom of the Attic. Plus, uh, my parents said that uh, 
the owners, they, they want to meet you. <laughs> they want to know who you are, man. But this was... Uh, an, That's a great story. Because <laughs> imagine comic book shop owner suddenly being like, you're on their radar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because his parents coming in with like a list of like, and they don't know what the... Do you have Appleseed comics? Like, what? <laughs> uh, I could tell you, like, I read these comics immediately, and uh, the art spoke to me far more than the story. Upon reread for this video... I got it. Like, I understand it so much better. And uh, it's, it's, you know, Masamune Shiro's deep. Like, like his, he creates this world in his head and just assumes that you're along for the ride, man. So you have to give him all grace to just bring you through the thing and just hope that you could keep up. Because, man, it's, his world is, is a complicated one. And, and he's not giving it all to you at once. I wonder how much of that is... Um different readerships because this is early well this is 80s uh the, yeah. the original stuff and right i wonder here. about like what american comics of the 80s are compared to this in terms of the age of the reader the average reader or the age specifically of say an appleseed reader and how that's a much uh older reader and more sophisticated storytelling yeah sure where you're not pandering or, or you know spoon feeding it check this out jimmy like i uh i learned probably you know two months before this, that if you put a bunch of parallel lines together, it could kind of create a gray. And I got obsessed with it for a little <laughs> while there, man. Yeah, that, that's amazing. I actually drew maybe 20 or 30, I copied 20 or 30 pages uh, from, from the beginning of this because the artwork blew, blew me away so much. And uh, I also don't want to even crack this book open yet until we comment on this, like, to me, iconic Tom Orzakowski logo and you see something like this this transcended the comic this would be the logo that would be used on the um the anime video cassette tapes and stuff like that and he created that logo in the 80s for the for the uh for the um eclipse comics yeah i'm mad i forgot my eclipse editions at home that's how i read this stuff yeah and i read it in pieces right you know, like i'd find an issue in a dollar bin or whatever and that's the one i would read and they they look amazing like the art adam covers i think are so smart because of the kind of art that's inside this yeah. and the crowd that probably followed because i think this is really influential on some of the image guys like totally. jim lee uh we just read wild wildcats this week and i feel like there are pieces in there that are reflective of this uh, i bring up that logo as being created in the 80s because th that means that orzakowski is using straight edges and french curves and all of that kind of stuff to make this logo and he created several iconic logos and it's just like we don't give these guys enough credit it's like you're inventing fonts you know what i mean and like it's all like perfectly constructed nothing and we looks should out give of them place. a lot of credit it's because incredible. there's so much bad titling and comics yeah whenever it's good sing their praises this is like one of the greats man got the apple incorporated right. in the hole got the seeds right there like it's super unique i've never seen anything like that the other people to credit here is studio proteus and torrent smith who i swear was probably responsible for the first 80 percent of the first i don't know ten thousand pages of manga that saw print in the u.s yeah you know, a huge influence in that regard. In the end, uh, Torin Smith talks about how, like, Masamune Shiro is kind of responsible for Studio Proteus in a, in a lot of ways, man, because he was over there at, like, Comic Ket or someplace. Uh, when that, well, that's amateur stuff, but he was over there, came across these comics, and was just like, this would be perfect for the American audience. It is one of those things where the comics that we get are really bound by 
certain tastemakers and what they think we would like. And a very small number. You know, like when I say Torrance Smith in the beginning, like there was nobody that was bringing manga in here. Like, so a lot of the stuff that we saw, it was one guy's point of view. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, crack, crack into the story a little bit, man. Here's the deal. Like uh, World War Three, we'll call it, has happened. Uh, most big metro cities are represented in this image right here, man. Just bombed out in tatters. And there are small nomadic little groups of people. It's actually like, you would read about these guys who like, and it would be, uh, there's like a famous Japanese guy who was like fighting World War, in World War II until like the 1975 or something. Like, like living, a guy on an island. Yeah, like yeah. living in caves and stuff. This is the world that, that uh, Briarios and Dunin are a part of, man. They're just kind of holing up. He's out sc like scanning for food. I like how it starts off like I Love Lucy or something because it very rapidly you discover that this isn't like uh, this ain't Lucille Ball, man. This this girl can, can wield some weapons. What is Briarios? Is he a robot? That's a good question because he definitely has like a uh, prejudice against like the android stuff like later in the thing. And it's like, but dude, you got like a robot head. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I struggled to make sense of the narrative of this comic. I, I will say that. So as we unpack this, uh, I may have some questions about the narrative at, at different places. Yeah, sure. So we we have uh, like our agent from that utopian society. Uh, what's it? Is it called Prometheus? I, I forget what that place is called. I, I do too. Do they call it Aegis? The, yeah, the, right. The that's the co that's... Yeah, that's the group. Uh, so and also Jim Lee's um, imprint in the beginning days of uh, Image Comics. Oh yeah, man! Like you'll see like Youngblood comics with like Shaft wearing this outfit and stuff like much later. This stuff looks so cool. It does, man! It's unbelievable because it's like he's also drawing it in many different camera angles and stuff. And and you know it's less you give a guy less props nowadays because you just know they're using Google SketchUp or something. But he's figuring this stuff all out in his head. Yeah, wild designs. Discovers a photo of Briorios and Dunin. So this this agent was uh, was watching them for a while. Discovered that's a pretty girl, and she's from that utopian society. Kind of, uh, you know, scouring the bombed out planes for people like Dunin and, and Briorios. Yeah, what's their value? Are they like military or? cops or something yeah because that's what they join up with whenever they get back into this society which seems like you would need some training and so there's some value in them that's that somebody's even out looking for them right yeah like they're they're survivors man so they're out there they're winning uh they have they must be warriors they're being watched and uh they're they're basically going to be guinea pigs for their kind of uh, police force or something and now we have like these mercenary are rogues. types. Yeah, uh, you know, in the post-apocalypse, this might be characters out of a Mad Max or something. Yeah, they detect this activity. I think they're tracking that agent, and so here they come. Yeah, Briorios. There's a couple pieces, man, where Briorios is uh, doing that Marvel Studios 
you know landing <laughs> right. situation huh. it, and, and and it looks heavy it's yes. it's real good and it's never the same one twice we'll see every couple of pages like see there's another one it is it's a really good page too because you have like the the almost defined gravity leap and then the crashing back to earth that's a great page for that you know something that that uh struck me while reading this um it's it's kind of in a lot of ways paced and it kind of reads like a western comic uh in a lot of ways the amount of the, the panel count uh, it's not, it is decompressed in as much as not so much happens in this comic. What the, what the comic is, is basically they decide to, to stay in that utopian city and get recruited to the police force or SWAT team or whatever. There are some really interesting, like socioeconomic elements of that utopia yeah that feel very contemporary it does especially in covid times actually man because it's kind of like robber baron people like uh pulling the strings making a lot of money from from uh from the war and and people are sort of uh almost indentured servants in a way like like they're they're in debt to start with yeah there, there's some interest you know they don't have a lot of options the people in terms of like what can they do which is how they get into the police work or at least how I read, you know, kind of how I read some of that stuff. Great weight on this figure right there. He's really good with that. With with weight, with weight of vehicles, motion, yeah, movement. Right there. Yeah, that's a perfect example. It's very impressive drawing. Like, um, you know, you mentioned it's the storytelling is makes sense to us, American comics readers. I think there's a big European component probably at work because it reminds me a little bit of Akira or... or uh, well, Akira specifically, where I, I know there's a European influence on that, and I feel like there's a similar kind of influence on this. And from, you know, doing Ghost in the Shell and, and researching that a little bit, this guy is, he must read all the time, yeah. just everything. You know, he seems so far ahead. This is cool. Um, this is something that I see guys like Brandon Grahams and Jim Moffood's doing, you know, these little cartoony images inserted here and there, uh, something I really like in Shiro's work. Yeah, he's always been good for that, man. Like little mm -hmm. chibi pieces right. that would, you know, be injected into the bigger works. And like when I was like a young teenage boy reading Spawn and Faust and stuff like that, this would be a little disappointing to me. Like Massimoni, what do you do? Can't you can't you rein it in? Can't you pull your shit together? But I absolutely love that too. Brendan grabs a good comparison with, with this kind of thing too. Got a little flashback sequence, man. Let us know that our, our girl... She was put through the paces. She's got one of those uh, aggressive dads that's going to like make sure that she can defend herself. Yeah, some really nice page layouts. They're on the road, man, to that city. Olymp Olympus. Olympus. Oh, yeah, that's the, the name of the joint. As soon as I saw that. Miracle it, it, Man, it, the uh, architect. Yeah. And once again, you'll see this building in, you know, 20 different points of view, and it always looks freaking badass. Yeah, they even spend like a couple of pages talking about these giant structures, 2,000 feet structures, and how they actually weigh less than they look. They still must weigh like the heaviest thing on Earth, by the way. <laughs> Get a little worm's eye view of like the people on the streets, man. Let's see what the inhabitants of Olympus look like. They look super cool. Yeah. These money shots, man, they're all—they're also very congruent with the line work of the characters, which which lets you know that Masamune Shiro has a big hand in every line. It's not like uh, 
a standard manga, we'll say, where the backgrounds are completely divorced, or there are those egregious ones that are like, you know, based on a subject like Oishinbo or something, where you could see that, you know, these characters are running around and like the most ornate stuff is like the food and it's a comic about food, but it's assistants who drew that stuff and they don't get their name on uh, the credits or like baseball manga where you see these like right. perfectly drawn baseball mitts that are not drawn by the guy whose name's on the spine of the book. That'll never happen in America. Yeah, Impossible. B- baseball mitt specialist. <laughs> <laughs> They're weaving in... There's all this Greek stuff. So you have Athena, Prometheus. Like, Prometheus is in the title mm-hmm. of everything. Um, and yeah. we're getting some of the, like, the political structure of this uto- this new utopian society here, which is some of the stuff that I think Shiro does uh, pretty interesting things with. You know, when I talk about certain contemporary parallels... Uh, I don't think it's accidental. I think he's probably reading about, like, probably the Japanese political system post-World War II, maybe. Uh, even the contemporary Japanese political system of, of the time of this book. So the stuff that's coming out politically, it's why you can see parallels, I think, if you look around today. Well, that's one of the stuff in your pocket right there, dude. Marble, marble texture in line. I've not seen that. Also, how, how hard is it, man, to do, like, ellipses? in perspective and and to like get them right yeah his drawing ability is phenomenal well you see stuff like this you think he grids out the whole panel first and then i can't even guess i have no idea here's the stuff at play too because it's like not only is he good at drawing pen and ink making stories but now you got to be like a vehicle designer you do but he's even doing like feathered hair and stuff again in the 80s but it's it's different hairstyles from character to character and this is just somebody walking an extra walking yeah. down the street it's a great attention to detail this is a fun panel i use that often yeah the ability to draw things like a good motorcycle again in all these different from all these different angles yeah man I was talking about the ellipses, man, in perspective, and one of the hardest things to do is, is tires. They really are. And then how about tire tread? Yeah. Take it to the next level. Show off. <laughs> Nobody likes a show off. Yeah. Let's talk about showing off, man. That's incredible. These, this is a like a mech body shop. And so depending on what you do in this future world, a lot of people have these mech body suits. And especially if you're getting into like law enforcement. You're going to need something like this. It's amazing how they fit in the cockpit. And then whenever you see them opened up and you see like all the parts, really strong. We've seen examples of this in like stuff like Pacific Rim and, and other other kinds of uh, sci-fi. Mm-hmm. But was it invented here? This idea of like, I you know, as it. you move, like the thing moves with you. I think there's a whole genre of this. It's probably what popularized it in America. So good. I even wonder, like, aliens, like, is Cameron pulling from manga influence whenever Sigourney Weaver's in that giant suit? Right. You know, that predates this American publication, but obviously, like, there was manga and anime that was showing that kind of stuff. More of the Greek stuff, Cerebus. Hold up, that says Cerebus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, Studio Studio Proteus and uh, Torn Smith, Canadian Torn Smith. Uh, <laughs> I think 
giving his countrymen some love. <laughs> this is where the agent that tracked them down lives. So it's like coffee house on the on the bottom floor, and then I guess living quarters above. I was even marveling at mm -hmm. the great ice cubes he drew. The whole thing, the tumbler and everything, like the little bits of the way light is bending around that side. This is neat too. Like we've seen a bunch of the city shots and they look really good. And now we get to see it at night. It's just, this is visual storytelling, right? Like how do you keep this stuff interesting? Man, all the apartment furniture, everything exceptional. Foreshadowing of uh, Masamune Shiro's future career post, post comics. Makes me wonder if anything's pulled out for, uh, you know, American publication. Yeah, just like the uh, how ghost everybody uh, informed us that uh, <laughs> right. there was Ghost in a Shell stuff missing. There's some of your chibi moment, another uh, chibi moment. Yeah, he it's his little grace note to sign out of of these these comics, man. This is funny, like the the wild lettering. I wonder if that's that way in order to cover up an effect, uh, a, a right. sound effect, like right. the original sound effect. Yeah, there's a lot because that's a pretty lively word balloon in that instance. <laughs> Yeah, you're right, man. The challenge of relettering this stuff, and especially the integrated sound effects, man, that would have been tough. Because you're also having to match up ink lines to kind of... You are, and you maybe know, even like things. screen tones. Like, there's all kinds of stuff that you've got to make fit. These old androids who are running things. The Aegis Company with their hookah. Yeah, the council. Some of the other politicians don't trust them. Nor should they, because, man, they talk about humans like we're rabbits or something. I mean, you got to imagine some, some Otomo influence here. I was going to say totally. Like, I think all of this political intrigue, too, is connected to, like, an Akira. You know, you can see the, the machinations in that story of the uh, people behind the scenes, the factions, you know, all pulling for their own interests. Stunning. Beautiful. See, this is what, like, I, I talk about the European influence, and to me, I look at that and think, like, Mobius and Metal Orlant and some of those, like, yeah, spectacular sci-fi backdrops. could do some stuff like that, for sure. But then it'll, he'll pull it back to, like, very distinctly 80s manga look mm -hmm. with these kinds of characters. I'd have fallen in love with this if I found it when it first came out. Yeah. Because I was looking for other stuff. And I bet a lot of people who fell into this were the same way, where it's like, I've read, you know, Venom come back in Spider-Man three years in a row. Like, give me something else. Totally. Totally. Like, when, whenever, uh, like, I got hold of this stuff, like, I was out of uh, Marvel DC Comics by 12, 13, and just kind of acquainting myself with everything else in comics. And when I would read this stuff, even though I, it was over my head, it still gave me a sense of satisfaction that I remember getting when I was able to like complete my my first comic in English when I was a little kid. You know, if it gave me that same sense of like, oh, that was awesome. It's got to be the best sci-fi that was coming out in American comics market at that time. Oh, I, I, would I there's bet. nothing even like comparable to it. Yeah. I, I don't think. How about that for use of an unusual screen tone to just create an interesting panel? Same with the, like the crowd scene, man. Just a throwaway panel. I know. Like, no no discernible focal point. Just, you know, they're talking about, like, you know, this is this comes after describing, you know, Olympus mm -hmm. as a zoo. So then, 
There it is, man. This is a great animals. sequence because her dialogue is zoo for those weird animals that build their own cages and hide inside of them. Man, you're cutting promos on on uh, the human race here. <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me a little bit of the way like uh, illustrators say in the '50s, like the EC guys were able to show modern uh, homes and designs and different textures. You know, showing us a park or walking through a park, totally different than like these kind of more high-tech, straight-edge interior shots of, of future living. Right. This kind of open panel, too, is something that it took me a long time to s sort of get to a point where I could use that or understand it at all. But it stands out so well on these pages. Yeah. Reminds me a little bit of like Bill Griffith, you know, have an open panel on each page. And he uses it to good effect here, man. Like... Briorius, he's he's mulling things yeah, over. Yeah, it's contemplative. Definitely. And look who got our own Mac. Yeah, man. And Briorius is a little nervous. He's he's like, listen, man. Like we're you understand? We're just guinea pigs here. They're they're testing stuff out on us. They're they're seeing how the people react to police in a place that doesn't need it. And this is the part where he's talking about like. Uh, you know, the artificial people and stuff. Yes. And I'm like, well, genetic engineering's out of control. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> Such a cool character, though. So here's a wild thought. I don't know how many pages we are into this thing, but well over halfway through this. Yeah. And haven't seen, we had that little battle in the very beginning, but it's not like this is an action-driven story. No. No. And, and you know, that, that could have been a, a disappointment in a way. Like, you give... I accepted it as long as you give me a lot of those shots of robots and, and tech and cool cool backgrounds and stuff. But uh, you're right, man. This is a this is a character piece. We're we're setting stuff up for uh, the future issues. Uh, it still has the decompression, and I don't know that he's completed the story he wanted to tell even to this day. It's not like it really wraps up in a bun with volume four. Mm -hmm. Now this is the part when we talk about confusing. Uh, it's like the rogue mechs versus uh, Dunan and her crew. And good luck being able to tell any of them apart. Yeah, I'm not even clear like who the rogue mechs sent, like who sent them. Yeah. Or why. Why they're after these newcomers who are, I guess, you know, messing up the balance or somebody's plans. But yeah, that, that part completely loses me. Yeah, for sure. Even Dunan's, I mean, once you're attacked, it's self-preservation. It's easy to understand. But her motivation for like wanting to become active in the police force, uh, and, and what influence she thinks she has there, that part's a little bit unclear to me. Makes me want to read subsequent volumes. Yeah, we see the early parts of uh, the things that Shiro would be doing in Ghost in the Shell, where he'd be really explaining tactical stuff. Uh, Briarios, she needs an eight-man support team. Contact Eswat. Like uh, this is this is a very basic. Uh, version of that but all throughout this they're, they're talking about you know the the weight of suits and just all of the minutiae of this kind of technology and strategy makes me wonder how influential this kind of mech manga is on the evolution of iron man yeah i wonder 
feel like most of those guys, man, really were looking at this kind of shit. Yeah, I, I don't think so, but I think as, maybe as you get into the filmmaking and stuff, you know, and the face and the face shield being open, but the guy, like, encased in that kind of armor, yeah, the lines start to blur, I think, culturally. Pop culturally. Right. <laughs> It's all an excuse, man, to draw some robots at war with one another and blowing things up. Do you see, like, uh, Geiger in, in this kind of art? Yeah, sure. Got Athena's team and you got, got your rogues. Man, it looks so cool. All those giant mechs jumping around and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Them in motion is just, it's like... It's so beautiful. And Briarios knows, man, that your regular police who, who have never been tested, they're not going to be able to help our girl out. There goes the Marvel Comics land. <laughs> the Marvel Studios landing <laughs> image. <laughs> there are these very cool things where you see, like, these cutaways of her face, like, in the, ro in the uh, robot. Yeah, I think we passed one, but... Uh... Keep keep my eyes open for that. Yeah. Look at these vehicles, man. Yeah, like this kind of shit. Yes. Like you see the the uh, mech right there, and then it, it he creates this language to allow us to see the emotion of the guy inside. Man, this is this is much different than your like upturned Spider-Man eyes to try to convey. Reminds me of uh, Ditko's Shade, The Changing Man. There were some really cool effects in that comic that were like that, where you would get the outside part, but you would also see, like, the character inside. I mean, I'm like, you got me thinking now, man. Like, in those, like, the Iron Man movie, there are those moments mm -hmm. where the mask is not up. The mask is down, but you still see Tony Stark doing shit. You know, if you're that, if you're the guy making Iron Man, you're not doing your due diligence if you're not looking at like, how's this? Sh show me every example of a dude in a in a mechanized suit. Right. And of course, like manga and anime is where you're gonna find great examples of that stuff. See, this is that part where he doesn't do enough to differentiate, you know, the good guys from the bad guys, and you just accept that you're watching a bunch of robots kick each other's asses, and our girl is probably gonna be all right. Do more than accept it. Love it. This is great. I want to see like a wrestling comic of this stuff now. <laughs> Rock'em Sock'em Robots, man. <laughs> That's pretty fun drawing in the middle. That's really cool. Yeah, it is. That feels like something you would see like a McLeod do or something like as a diagram. See, this is what we came here for. This is everything I wanted when I got this comic. I see a lot of Adam Warren in this stuff. Oh, definitely. Definitely. There was a cool comment under our Adam Warren Gen 13 video, and it was about his time at Kubert School and how he was drifting away from Kubert School and some student that was into anime brought in like a big stack of anime and manga over break and that Adam Warren just just internalized that stuff. That's so Kind of cool. recharged and changed his direction a little bit. But it feels like, you know, this would be stuff that must have been floating around then. Yeah, certainly those Eclipse books were, were out during his tenure. Briarios, man, laminate, getting getting fixed up. Look at our girl, man. Just in case, if you thought that this comic took place any place other than the eighties, <laughs> you gotta lay off of that. That's my favorite part. <laughs> it looks so cool. When uh, whenever we have these like blonde characters with, with specs, we always do mention my friend Dahmer. So why not? <laughs> I'm just mentioning it there too. The female version. This We're stretching that about as far as we this can. Is, this is 2021. 
Cass Doonan is uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, who played uh, young Dahmer and my friend Dahmer? <laughs> More of your little chibi ending. Yeah. And Shiroisms. Like this. This is the stuff I think of as, as uh, those little signature cartoon moments that he does. Yeah, for sure, man. And uh, our characters are settling into life knowing that there are people who do not mean them well while they're there in Olympus. And it sets things up for, for volume two. But I do have to say that you have to you have to give yourself to Shiro to want to keep going. Like I could see people being actually turned off to this because you're just not getting enough in the way that we're used to with the way all our culture has has built story. And and the little appendix here uh is just talking it's uh Torrin Smith talking about meeting Shiro and bringing the translations to uh to the states. I was reading an interview with him and he was talking about I think it was around when Sto Studio Proteus ended. And he was talking about like he had a list of like the 10 books he most wanted to bring and i think they ended up doing like eight of them and somebody else you know kira someone else published uh it's kind of cool to see that side of like really a, a, a radical dream at the time so it's pretty awesome the stuff that they chose i mean it, like you could see how it all would fit our sensibility certainly at the time uh the lot of not even like western influence but stuff that we would easily accept man the lone wolf and cub yeah we're gonna buy that this is pretty pretty visionary stuff. It makes sense in that it's science fiction, but there's not a lot of science fiction that it's competing with in the comics market, especially at that time. Kind of amazing. You I know, think... Like it, 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 and to think that like one guy is more or less responsible for us getting an English version of this. Right. What an influence. You, uh, when you see this stuff... See, we're, we're... We're colored in a little way because we got this like very curated sample of of uh manga for years and years and years and then when we would read up further and read more and you hear like these guys draw 20 pages a week are you kidding me and we know this we know akira we know like you know certain very yeah. highfalutin super detailed things crack open an issue a shonen jump you could see the stuff that is drawn 20, 30 pages a week. Like, right. there's no question. This is not. And in fact, in the end, Shiro's talking about how it's a very unique. Like, he puts out one comic a year, maybe. Uh, the guy who does One Piece has four Tonkobon that comes out per year. Every three months, there's a new trade paperback. Uh, much different approach. Much different approach, man. Super fun to uh, pull off the shelves, dust off after all these years. Final words? I hope this is the last uh, Shiro that we look at. Not not by a long mile, man. The Black Magic stuff we'll have to look at, and those are do from Dojinshi, so that's like a cool thing to keep in mind when we go through those. Kayfabers, like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel with the bell. We'll notify you when new vids are available. What's out there, Jimmy? Join me on Patreon.com slash JimRug, where you can download out-of-print zines and mini-comics, BW Zine, the latest of those. You can also see my original art, scripts, uh, layouts, the way I make comics like Street Angel, Octobriana, Plain Janes, all of that and more on Patreon.com slash JimRug. Red Room, the anti-social network, trade paperback, coming in stores November 9th. I uh, order it from your comic shop ASAP so that you can make sure you get a copy of that thing, man, because uh, the, the 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 monopoly of Amazon has bought most of the comics already, uh, and I want comic shops to be able to have these things, man. So order heavy, get the Red Room trade paperback uh, pre-ordered so that your shop can, can have it ready for you 
uh, the day that it comes out. Uh, if you want to read the comics ahead of time, go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash edpiscor, into serializing the next round of issues that are going to start coming out in December. All these links are in my link tree in the description below this video. Subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe e-newsletter at the links below this video. You can also pick up Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts and merchandise at the links below this video. That's a sexy shirt right there, man. Give them those more We're going to be on our way, Jimmy. Read more manga.